as you see here, Sean, I have my jump boots in case I have to jump in some places. Not all Santas are airborne qualified, though. That's the difference. Uh, <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to a special holiday episode of The Scuttlebutt. My name is Sean Hall, the host of this podcast, and we invited Santa to come on and join us and tell us a bit about the traditions of Santa in the military. He's taking a break from his very busy toy building and packing schedule, whatever Santa does up there at the North Pole, to tell us about that tradition. And we also have a separate conversation with Air Force veteran Ben Wright about the Operation Christmas Drop that takes place in the South China Sea. Uh, this year marks the 70th anniversary. Um, it's very interesting, the Christmas Drop. Uh, it involves airmen from the 36th Wing, 515th Air Mobility Operations Wing, and 374th Airlift Wing. It got its start back in 1952 when a B-29 air crew flying over the island of Copinia Morangi, 3,500 miles southwest of Hawaii, saw islanders waving at them. And according to the PACAF release, the crew dropped supplies attached to a parachute to them, starting an annual tradition. So this has taken place for 70 years. Ben Wright is going to come on and talk to us about this Christmas drop and why it's so important. So two really interesting conversations for you for the holidays. We hope that you enjoy. Thanks for joining us and be sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube as always. And you can reach out to me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. We hope that you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're going to be back with new episodes of The Scuttlebutt in the new year. And we have a great season lined up. So uh, please join us uh, as we continue on uh, with this really interesting and I think really educational podcast. Uh, and joining us now is Air Force veteran Ben Wright. For those of you who are fans of the Scuttlebutt, you may recognize Ben from our episode talking about Star Wars Canyon. And if you don't know about that, please go to YouTube and look that up. Uh, it's an incredible video of uh, fighter pilots uh, shooting a canyon over in the western part of the states down into a canyon and flying around it. I had to have Ben on to talk about that because it was amazing. But uh, to talk more holiday-specific uh, material today, uh, Ben, you were a C-130 pilot, and I thought I'd bring you on to chat with us about what the uh, the Christmas drop is. And it's the 70th anniversary of this Christmas drop that happens over in, is it the West China, uh, the South China Sea? Well, actually, it's uh, it's east of there. It's actually the Western Pacific uh, okay. Ocean. Uh, so uh, the, the group of islands, uh, which is the Federated States of Micronesia and the Republic of Palau, are south of Guam, uh, east of the southern uh, Philippines, and north of Papua New Guinea. Yeah, there you uh, are sharing a picture of where it is. So you'd see the Marshall Islands. Uh, to the Northeast. The Marianas include Guam, uh, Saipan, and Tinian. And then uh, what you're showing the Federated States of Micronesia is a group of uh, 600, about 600 islands that are uh, archipelago uh, in the Pacific. So basically it's uh, a lot of uh, volcanic mountains with their peaks sticking up uh, out of the ocean. Some of them are atolls uh, that are coral uh, that goes around the rim of uh, a, a volcano. Mm -hmm. In the Federated States of Micronesia, we uh, had one program uh, about Ulithi uh, Atoll and uh, all of the Navy ships were there. In fact, that's where a uh, 
uh, Kai 10, which is uh, a kamikaze style submarine, mm -hmm. uh, sank a, an oil tanker there. Oh, yeah. So, this is through our VBC, like uh, our online Zoom events. For those right. of you who have only heard the scuttlebutt, our podcast, VBC is our sort of our parent company, um, nonprofit. Western PA, we uh, do Zoom programs every week, and we talked about this uh, atoll um, and the, the Kai 10. Also another great, uh, we're giving them great references here to go onto YouTube and look up these old episodes that we've done through VBC and the Scuttlebutt. Um, but go ahead, Ben, thanks. Sure, and uh, the interesting history of these islands, uh, Spain was the first one uh, to inhabit all these in the 17th century. Uh, then uh, after the Spanish-American War at the uh, end of the uh, 19th century, they were actually sold to Germany. Hmm. and were taken over by Germany. And then, of course, uh, the Japanese came and inhabited all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so they became of great interest uh, to the U.S. Uh, as we worked our way through the Pacific island hopping to be able to uh, take care of, of uh, Imperial uh, Japan at that, top, uh, at that time. And there were some very fierce battles mm -hmm. uh, that were fought uh, in this area, particularly on Angar, uh, uh, Peleliu, uh, and uh, the Ulithi Atoll uh, for the U.S. take Trollum. Then after World War II, uh, they all became U.S. trust territories. So the U.S. Uh, has felt a great responsibility for caring for the people uh, in Micronesia and Palau uh, for a number of years. Now in the 90s, uh, they did become independent nations. So they're now the Federated States of Micronesia and the Republic of uh, Palau. And these well, are very isolated places. A lot of these people may have never left the island or may never will leave the island. That's true. And out of the about 1,100 islands we're talking about here, and of course not all of them are inhabited, uh, but there's like six airports in there. So there's like six different runways you can fly in out. So obviously most of the transportation is by sea. Uh, by boat, and the people that live out there are generally very poor, uh, you know, so they live off of their farms, uh, what they can grow in their gardens, and a lot of fishing, uh, and those sorts of things uh, to make a living. You know, they've been blessed during a pandemic that they've been able to keep, you know, the COVID-19 from coming to, to visit them because of their uh, isolation, uh, but otherwise they're, they're pretty independent and uh, out there on their own. And because of the U.S. affinity for them, they started these Christmas drops. So for the children uh, and people in Micronesia and Palau, uh, Santa Claus doesn't have a sleigh and reindeer. He has a four-engine turboprop C-130s uh, that drop <laughs> gifts to them. And so like every the one year, behind you, right? Like the one in right, your right one. In yeah, your the one behind me is a mass CDS drop. They were probably only dropping, you know, one or two bundles at a time on the islands. Yeah. And this particular year. Uh, the U.S. was also doing training because these are going to be valuable training and airdrops mm -hmm. uh, with the Koreans uh, and the Japanese. So actually, all three nations were involved in the drops with the U.S. doing the bulk of them. So they delivered some um, 55,000 pounds uh, to uh, 55 of these 1,100 islands. And each one of them, you know, you have to figure the commuted air release point. You have to make sure the uh, the bundles land not on top of somebody's house, uh, but some of them be safely uh, recovered. So there's good good training and work for uh, 
the air crews as well as a benefit for the people. Can I, can uh, I interrupt you real quick? Can you give sure. us an idea of, of how much 55,000 pounds of, of stuff is? Like how much would that cover in a football field? Well, that's 25 tons of stuff. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and mostly it's, it's uh, of course, some presents for the kids. Mm-hmm. But there's fishing gear and there's rice and food, uh, clothing items, mm-hmm. uh, the kinds of things uh, that are useful and helpful uh, to the people and, uh, and the children on, on the islands. Now, these are not paid for uh, by the government. Uh, they, you can actually donate to the Christmas drop. Uh, you can go on to a, a website and donate to it. But the University of Guam, uh, has a lot to, to do with collecting uh, the goods uh, and determining the needs of the people and, and what's airdropped. And of course, there's a lot of labor involved because of the, uh, the shoots and rigging loads and the, and the flying and the flight planning and preparation for the flights. And so they did these uh, the first week of December for the 70th uh, anniversary of when the first ones were, were dropped. So it's an exciting mission. I never got to do these particular airdrops. I have flown into uh, three of the islands uh, in the Federation, uh, Federated States of Micronesia. Uh, I've flown into Yap and Palau, or Ponape rather, and in the Republic of Palau, I've flown into Angar. So I've flown by a lot of these other uh, uh, island nations uh, that were uh, we're talking about. So there's uh, Palau, and then northeast of that is Micronesia. And you can see where it's situated uh, east of the southern Philippines of the island of Mindanao and the, and the southern Philippines and north of uh, Papua New Guinea. Technically, doing an airdrop, like you said, you don't want to drop these supplies on someone's house. It's supposed to be Christmas. But uh, what is how, how do you pull a maneuver like this off? One, you're going what, how many miles per hour in a plane? What's your height? And when do you know, okay, I'm going to drop this and it's going to land exactly on the beach where I need it to? Well, for those kinds of drops, uh, they'd be dropping probably from a thousand feet above the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do do a slowdown uh, before you, you drop. So you, for equipment, you know, they're, they're probably at um, 125 or 130 knots uh, airspeed. Uh, and you have to have, you can tell with a Doppler radar in the aircraft uh, what the uh, altitude winds are. And then if you know what the winds are on the surface, and then you figure based on the weight of the load and the type of parachute that's on it, uh, it's rate of descent and the winds, you come up uh, with a computed air release point. So in other words, you position the aircraft upwind of where you want the load to land uh, and you compute uh, where where to release it uh, so that it, it uh, falls in place. So you can see why this would be good training for the crews, uh, you know, and they would have to do a certain amount of survey information, probably mostly done by satellite or aircraft of what's on the ground and coordinating with the local officials to what they want to use for drop zone as to where they want to drop it. Did you ever talk to a pilot who had taken part in Operation Christmas Drop? No, not in this particular one. Of course, I've done airdrops myself. Uh, you know, yeah. not these these particular ones. Um, but you know, the time I was in Southeast Asia with the units uh, that do this now, uh, 
you know, our focus was was Vietnam, even though during that same time frame, I did go to these islands uh, for supporting at that time, US Coast Guard, who's not there anymore, um, and also community uh, support uh, in the uh, US trust territories. How do you, I'm sure you feel great about it, but I, you know, I'm interested in your opinion of what Operation Christmas Drop is and, and why it's so important to the military and you know the, the Air Force. Well, I think it's, it's, it's good for the U.S., uh, you know, because we continue uh, to want to help the people uh, that live there, uh, many in great poverty and in great need with limited uh, logistics capability. Um, it's good training uh, for the militaries involved. It's good also um, cooperative for international forces, and especially this year, the Koreans uh, and the Japanese were involved as well as the Americans. Uh, so it's good to, to work together. We might have to, to work together uh, for other purposes mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in doing that. And it's all, all good training and goodwill at Christmas time. Yeah, the, the airforcemag.com article, which we'll have here in the description, uh, went on to, to have a quote from, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Larry Ragatol, uh, he was a child on one of these islands and, and he was quoted as saying uh, about the Operation Christmas Drop, he says, I was curious where the toys were coming from, much less being fascinated with the Air Force guys standing in the C-130 and tossing down those boxes. He went on to say, I wanted to find out where they came from. I wanted to know what the source was. And I'm sure as a kid on one of these sort of remote islands where they don't speak English, they see a plane fly overhead that drops a box and filled with toys and you know supplies and things and you know i'm sure they're very grateful for the supplies that we are able to provide um but i i could imagine that this very much seems very much like santa just shows up there's a box of stuff for you sure santa and a four engine turboprop c-130 exactly <laughs> Um, and Ben, I know that you're going to be joining us in the new year for uh, a normal, regular episode of the Scuttlebutt. Uh, do you want to give us a, a, a brief preview, a promo for what that episode will be about? Well, we're going to do one on uh, actually the Epiphany, January the sixth. Uh, we're going to to record with Michael Wurtsmith, who does ministry uh, to homeless people in Pittsburgh, uh, and uh, most of whom are about forty percent of whom are veterans. He has a particular heart for veterans and taking care of them and uh, getting them in a, a life-sustaining situation. And then we're also going to have uh, Eric Fenton, who was active duty Air Force chaplain for over 20 years, uh, went to places like Diego Garcia and all over the place uh, with people who were supporting wartime operations and the things he was able to do to, to minister to people while they are under the stress of uh, combat operations and normal life in the military. Awesome. I can't wait to hear these stories because it, you know, I I think for someone who may not know anything about the military, it might be a little odd to hear like, oh, wait, there's ministers in the military and what do they do and what's their job? And, and, you know, is this part of it, like the service? Like, I I think that's a very intriguing subject and I'm very interested to have those guests on as well as yourself to hear more of your stories and and what drove you uh, to follow this path. Sure. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Wonderful. Well, we will see you uh, in the new year. And thank you again for, for joining us for the special Christmas episode of the Scuttlebutt. Happy New Year. You everyone. bet. Yeah. Blessed New Year to you as well. Santa, I am so excited that you were able to take some time out of your busy schedule to join me on the Scuttlebutt. I, I figured, you know, I wanted to have you on as a special guest, of course, because it's the holidays, but but also to 
yeah, to, to talk to us a bit about what's the correlation between Santa and the military? Well, the correlation is, you know, everybody believes every little kid who grew up, every soldier one time was a little boy or girl who grew up and always believed in Santa. Mm -hmm. And everyone believes in Santa, especially as you get older, uh, because we go back to our childhood. So Santa is there, but boys and girls understand it's Christmas is for boys and girls with Santa. Santa loves the boys and girls. But through the military, of course, military has always enjoyed helping people, especially kids. And I started this many, many years ago. I played Santa when my kids were young. I got the suit. The suit is was handmade by a Mrs. Claus over 70 years ago. Her husband was a policeman. Mm -hmm. Uh, as he got older, I fortunately Santas do get old and they can no longer do their duty. So they stepped down and he gave it to my brother-in-law, who is also a policeman, mm -hmm. and he gave it to me. So this has been going on for well over 70 years. Uh, so I started doing it when my kids were young. My brother-in-law would do it for me. Mm -hmm. I would do it for his kids. And we did it for all our nieces and nephews and things like that. And then it sort of became outside of the family. You it became a tradition. Friend. Yeah. I had a friend. Uh, I've had, well, I have, we've had people contact us. Uh, Santa's uh, foray into doing this. Uh, Santa only did it for family and friends. Mm -hmm. But um, I did get a call from a gentleman who ran five nursing homes. And wow. he asked me if I would do it. And I said, he said, he did it, but they all know who he was. So I did it. And I have to tell you of all the experiences, one of my favorites, because these older people, some of them have dementia. As they get older, they go back to their childhood. Mm. And when they see Santa, especially the women, they start to cry. Santa, I've been a good girl. All I want for Christmas is my health. Mm -hmm. They go on and they have tears in their eyes. That was a special moment. The other one, I did um, Children's Hospital, a nurse at Children's Hospital called me, asked me if I would come down. Uh, of course, they have Santas down there, but one of the nurse's husbands at 31 passed away. He was a veteran hmm. and left two young children. One of them was an infant. So they wanted to do a fundraiser and they were doing pictures. Yeah. With families with, in Santa, would Santa come down? And that was... Uh, one of my favorites, because not only do we raise money for them, we've been doing it for uh, actually uh, up until last year, we did it every year, just as people would come and get photos with Santa. So, mm -hmm. you know, Santa is part of, of the time of year. Mm -hmm. So I love doing it. I love doing it for the military. We collected a lot of toys. We uh, work with Toys for Tots, probably about 25 years ago, we started doing Toys for Tots, um, having groups of people bringing toys. The Veterans Club yesterday uh, on Wednesday at, at Grove Farm mm -hmm. did about $1,000 in toys. So wow! I sent, uh, I sent your director, my little friend, little Todd DePastino, who's grown up to be a very, very, very um, wonderful person helping vets as well as people. He's terrific. And Sean, I, I love Veterans Breakfast Club. I said that yesterday. 
when I was there for a brief mm -hmm. time. Uh, Santa will do anything for Breakfast Breakfast Club because two things that Santa loves. One of them is kids, little boys and girls, and the other one's veterans. They're very special. So where can people donate toys now? Well, it's getting a lot of late. Next year, we'll do it again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get the word out a little better next year. Um, Santa has been doing this for a while, and he has his groups. He's got a, that's why he's got this big belly. He has a little luncheon tomorrow with guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we will get the word out. It's getting kind of late because... The beauty of our foundation work, it goes to Urban Impact Foundation. Mm -hmm. And these folks work with ministries within the community mm -hmm. and they know the kids. So they know what little Sean needs or would like specifically. So if Sean's a real aggressive young man wants to play sports, they're not going to give him a doll right. or whatever mm -hmm. or a book. So that's the beauty of it. Um, so pairing the right toy, you know, like pair the I right have, toy with the I right. I have kid. tomorrow, Saturday, we'll finish it up and give them the toys because I have to go through them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, and, and so if they have any extras, we get a little extras. Uh, they give someone on their birthday. They know when their mm. birthday, are, which is pretty special. Yeah, a young person is, doesn't get anything. Um, what I found, and especially with veterans and my and friends who come, they become very generous as they get older because mm -hmm. their, their kids and their grandkids get toys and they just, ah, but watching someone not get a toy for Christmas is very, very difficult. Um, military people go out of their way to help kids. Uh, you go back and look through World War I and II, they shared candy, they shared whatever they had with kids. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, so, of soldiers who were doing that even during the, the war on terror, war, uh, wars in absolutely. Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, Soldiers love kids um, and they want to protect kids, but they also want to make them happy. So anything mm -hmm. a person can do, uh, my job is to make everybody happy. It's a lot easier when you go, ho, ho, ho. And uh, since uh, we're, we're going to digress a little bit. I have my work gloves on today. I, I got to get on to tell the Steelers how to play. But uh, yeah, I noticed that that Santa's Joe a... green and he said, man, they're really bad. You got to get on and straighten them out. So uh, please do. I, yeah, it's great to know that Santa's a Steelers but, fan. You know, it's a sport. Okay. So it is fun. Um, mm -hmm. But I want to thank everyone, especially the Veterans Breakfast Club for supporting not only Santa's Drive, but also the Veterans Breakfast Club, because it is a tremendous veterans organization and uh what they Thank do you. is oh, that's just terrific and so, let's talk to the man behind the beard here for a minute rick rick weber uh you're a, an army veteran is that correct that's correct i uh, what years did you serve i served three and a half i was drafted mm -hmm. um, lo and behold become drafted so um but once I entered the army, my wife says, I can't believe you still like, and I said, no, I never liked the army, but I like the people who are in it. Yeah. And uh, so Todd asked questions, uh, you know, what did you do? How was Christmas like in Vietnam? Mm -hmm. And I shared this story with him. Uh, as all as Santa's best gift for Christmas, and if people ask, what's your, you know, if I ask you, Sean, what was your best gift you ever received for Christmas? Probably like a PlayStation 3. 
that was that was pretty exciting. <laughs> well, I, I thought long and hard, and then it came real, real easy for me. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1970, I was a uh, young lieutenant, been married a little over a year, mm -hmm. and I was in Vietnam. And uh, my captain said, uh, I was with the 25th Infantry Unit at the time. And they were offering because morale was so bad Christmas and we weren't, you know, long story short, they not real happy. So they decided that this was the big brass, decided they were gonna send troops home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. so that was a big headline, troops going home for Christmas. But they didn't tell you it was only three plane loads. Right. And there was some specifics on that. Mm -hmm. But my captain, great guy said, Weber, we're going to, you're going to steal a Jeep and we're going to go to Saigon and get tickets. Yes. Without, without orders. So. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow is right. Well, long story short, he had the cojones to pull it off. First day they had a lottery. They were selling 220 tickets a day. They only mm -hmm. had three planes. You had to pay for the ticket out of your own money. Mm -hmm. You did not need to leave. They'd give you the leave. First day, we did not do very well, but my captain was very insistent. So he went up to the front of the line and talked to the sergeant and said, I'm a captain, I'm an infantry captain and I have a weapon. I will get the ticket. <laughs> so needless to say, as his driver, because officers aren't allowed to drive Jeeps. Yeah. This is just his driver, but uh, we did get tickets and we did go home for Christmas. So we left on uh, Christmas Eve, I uh, left Vietnam on Christmas Eve, got home Christmas day. Well, got into San Francisco at six or at 1230 at night, took the red eye of New York and got home around 1030. Oh, best Christmas ever. Yeah. Best you probably hurt, hurt him a little bit, but you were young at that point. So you could deal with that. Well, Those... I was very concerned about my guys. Yeah because I was going home and they were staying there. Mm -hmm. um, but because they didn't have an officer, they didn't have to go back to the field till I came back. As you see here, Sean, I have my jump boots in case I have to jump in some places. Yeah. Not all Santas are airborne qualified. Though. That's the difference. Um, <laughs> some of them are smart enough to stay in the sleigh, but there's right. some of us that just, you know, want to challenge. But unfortunately, in this part of the country, I don't believe, or most of the country, the United States is going to have very little snow. Yeah, so it looks Canadians like it's not going to be a white Christmas it. this it's year. It's going to be a, but Christmas is still Christmas. And the, the one place Christmas is and always will be is in people's hearts. Well said, well put. Um, th thank you, Santa, for coming on. Oh, to my honor. Scuttle, but... It's, it's, it's 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 a joy. I will do this. I have to find someone, Sean, to uh, take over the duties as this as this uh, Santa reclines in age and ability to do this. Um, but it is a it is a joy because you can see back when you can see people, their eyes start to moisten mm -hmm. and they go back and think of their childhood. Yeah, what they remember and what Santa meant, you know, through their parents and that. Mm -hmm. That's the real thing, because uh, the generosity of, of the veterans have been terrific mm -hmm. because they understand what the meaning of Christmas is. So for everyone, Merry Christmas, but more importantly, gentlemen, healthy 2022.
Right. With that, I salute you. Merry Christmas.